First Peter chapter one. I've been able to uh, to be in in some kind of uh, ministry um, role for a long time now, and started out in college ministry. And one of the really cool things about doing college ministry, and then uh, taking that group and planting a church with that group, and just the longevity there is, you get to watch. Uh, people go from um, being strangers and then they begin uh, to date. And then sometimes that dating is a disaster. And so you get to watch that, which is really fun. And then sometimes, um, sometimes it, it like, it heads down the road of marriage. And then, um, so that's like pretty, pretty awesome. And then uh, sometimes that leads to kids. And so to watch uh, someone go from a college freshman to years down the road being sometimes a, uh, a husband or wife and parent. It's just to watch the different roles morph is really fascinating. And um, one of the things that's cool to watch is is to watch parents, uh, whether their kids are little or grown. Uh, you, you like good parents want the very best for their kids. Um, and and not in like materialistic things, but like in like the deep, meaningful things of life, you know, to watch people figure out how do I how do I help my kids avoid the things that are terrible for them and lead them to the things that are good for them? You know, how do you help them avoid destructive relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic or whatever it might be? Any destructive relationship, how do you help them avoid those things? How do you help them avoid uh, the things that are destroying our world, like drugs and uh, various places on the internet and substance abuse in general? And uh, how do you how do you help how do you keep your child from being lazy and from having a terrible work ethic? And uh, like how do you how do you how do you do those things? How do you avoid all that stuff and lead them into? really healthy friendships, you know? How do you teach them how to work hard and the value of education and, and integrity? And, and the most important thing, how do you get them to Jesus, who is the, like, the most important thing about their entire life, you know? And so parents are trying to figure out, like you invest all this in their formation, trying to help them avoid certain things and then lead them into certain things. It's like, like this huge massive calling and the thing is is that kids think that they know don't they they think they know what is the best for them and they don't no offense to any of our kids in in the room you don't know that's why god gave you parents because they actually do know and so he has entrusted these kids to these to you as parents because they don't know what to avoid and what to run to you know um, that, that whole idea on a like massive grand scale is so much of how God is to us. The way all of you parents are trying to help your kids avoid certain things because they bring pain and destruction and lead them into other things that give life. That is what God is doing for us all the time. We've been in the 23rd Psalm during the 30 days of prayer. And this week, uh, that's like kind of the, like the theme. If you wanted to identify what we talked about this week, it's basically that God knows how to lead us to what is best. He knows how to lead us to what is best. Uh, here are the verses that we went through together 
uh, during the 30 days. Um, Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. During the prayer time, I talked about the lying down part, but the, the, the green pastures. He's trying to help us avoid the brown dead grass that we uh, tend to just get duped into thinking is still nourishing and good for us. He's like, no, 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 that's not what's good for you. I know where the green pastures are. Uh, the second thing, he leads me beside still waters. Still meaning like, like a, not a like roaring river, uh, but like a like trickling clean water brook. Um, quite, he's not talking about silent waters. Silent waters is that stagnant pool that's full of all kinds of bacteria and stuff like that. But sheep, they don't, they don't know. They're like, oh, that's water. Let me go drink it. He's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not good for you. That's bad for you. He knows how to lead us to the quiet waters that are healthy. Uh, the next, uh, he restores my soul. He knows how to take a soul that was broken by sin and death and to restore it, to set it right side up uh, to, for you to live the life that you were always intended to live. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He, he knows what is best for us. He knows how to lead us to what is best. That is the, that is the theme that w- of, of all these things tied together from, from this week. And that's what on these Sundays, that's what I'm trying to do is kind of look at what's the overarching theme we've been praying about and, and like how, how can we kind of like put a bow on this last week and this gets us ready for the next week ahead, which is the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So that'll be fun, right? So, um, Let's, let's zero in on that last, that last idea in paths of righteousness. Righteousness is one of those terms that's very common, commonly like used in the scriptures and in the life of the church. And, uh, I'm, I'm real hung up on terminology and making sure that, that when, a, when we hear a word, are we all thinking the same things? And so what is, what is righteousness? In, in general, we should think of righteousness as, as conforming to a standard that has been set. Um, there's, so that there's consistency between two things. Um, so you're conforming to a standard so that there's consistency between, between the, these, these two things. Uh, here's some examples. So in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament day, if you wanted to bring a lawsuit against someone, there were no attorneys at that point. It was just the plaintiff and the defendant, and you would come before a judge, and you would plead your case. Uh, maybe like a Judge Wapner, people's court kind of thing. You guys remember him? He was the best. Uh, and so you, you pled your own case. And the judge would make the, the ruling. And so the judge was then was basing his ruling on the law of Israel, on God's law and on the laws of, of Israel. And so the idea is, if, if the judge ruled in your favor, whether you're the plaintiff or the defendant, that, that, is, that was what righteousness looked like. That was the judge saying, based on the law, this is, this is the, how to be consistent with the standard of the law that has been set. That was righteousness. So there's a, there's a justice element to righteousness. It's about there being consistency between the situation and the law. And so if, if the, the judge ruled for you, it meant that you were, you were right in accordance with the law, with the standard that had been set. There was consistency there. If he ruled against you, it meant that you, there was an inconsistency that was there. So that would be unrighteousness or un, that would be unjust. And then it would be righteousness if he was consistent with you. Okay. So that's, that's a part of where this comes from. 
is a conformity to the standard that was set in God's law. Um, another thing that we see in the Bible when righteousness is talked about is it's talking about God's righteousness in that he has made these covenant promises to his people. And so every time God acts in a way that is consistent with the promises, that is, that is his righteousness. Every time he keeps a promise, he is, he is conforming to the standard that he has already set. So there's consistency between what he said he would do and what he did in action. And so that's the basis for righteousness. And so those are some of the ideas that, that, that come about. So, so there is a standard. And when someone acts in a way that conforms to that standard, righteousness is, is the fruit of what, has, what we have just seen. So he leads me in paths of righteousness. What David is saying in the psalm is, basically, as I walk through my life, God shows me how to consistently conform to the standard that he has set for me. As I journey through my life, he's realizing God is always showing me how to be consistent with what he has called me to. In other words, he knows what is best for me and he knows how to get me there. He leads me down that path of righteousness. He also knows what is what to avoid because it's bad for me. And so just like a parent, he's leading us down a path of righteousness, helping us avoid the dead grass and polluted waters that we're tempted with to lead us into what is best, which is what is holy and good for us. That God knows what's best and he knows how to get us there. So let me put two questions before us this morning uh, with all that in mind. One, what is the standard of righteousness? Like if it's about conforming to a standard, what is the standard of righteousness? And two, how do I consistently walk down the path? Um, what does that look like? So let's look at First Peter chapter 1. Before we look at uh, what the standard is, let's, Peter just gives us a little bonus material as far as what the standard is not. Look at verse 14. We're going to kind of jump around the paragraph out of order. I hope that's okay. Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, so he even uses our buzzword, conforming. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. So before we say what the standard is, he tells us what the standard is, is not. Which is basically all the things that came with our old life. So our former ignorance, what were we ignorant about before we met Jesus? Well, basically everything. Um, if I were to narrow that down, we were ignorant about God. Like we really, we didn't know the truth about God. We didn't know the truth about ourselves. We didn't know the truth about each other. We didn't know the truth about the world around us. We didn't know the truth about the future. We didn't know the truth about any of that stuff. We were, we are out of touch with what is real until we meet Christ. And he puts us in touch with reality. So our former ignorance starts off with us just having all kinds of misinformation about God and self and others and the world and all these kinds of things. And then what that does is that then makes us passionate about things because we're created to be passionate beings. 
And so all that misinformation then worked its way through in our lives in all these weird ways. Um, you don't need to turn to it, but this is, this is Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Here's, a, here's an example of what those passions that, were, that begin with that ignorance, what these passions led to. Just put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. This is the polluted water and dead brown grass that an unrestored soul longs for. This is what we have come to believe. This is just the way, this is just the world and the way that it works. You may as well play the game. That's before Christ. That was conforming to the passions of our former ignorance. And so if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. That describes your old life. If you have never come to the point where you have recognized that Jesus has come to rescue you from that, then you're in the right place this morning. You don't need to leave here wondering where you stand in regard to all of these things. I welcome you to stay around after we are done. I would love to talk to you about that because you are not meant to live this way. So that's the broken standard. So what's the correct standard? Look at verse 15 back in first Peter chapter one. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Okay, what's the buzzword in that? those two verses? Holy, right? Think he's getting his point across? That's the standard. So what does is, what is the word holy mean? It's foundation. It means that if something is holy, it means it's set apart from, from what is common and ordinary. And in regard to, to God, it means he's set apart from everything. That he is, he is other. There's, there's, no, there's no categorizing him and lumping him in with anything else. He's set apart. Which includes the brokenness that sin and death brought to the world. Sin and death brought this, this holistic destruction to God's image bearers and to God's creation. And there are all these things, but it did not break God. Because he's not like us. We're made in his image, but we are not, we are not uh, identical to him. He is separate from us. So there's a purity and a holiness in, in that regard about him because he is set apart. So be holy for I am holy. You're to be holy in all your conduct means that God is the standard of righteousness. That if we are looking, what am I supposed to conform my life to? God is who we conform our lives to. So that there's a consistency between our lives and his life. Now, it's not a complicated concept, but it's 
really, really deep. And in some ways, there's a beautiful complexity to it. But in other ways, it's just very simple. He's like, be like me. Conform your life to my life. I'm the mold that you pour your life into. So there's consistency between the two of us. In that same passage in Colossians we read it a minute ago, this is what he goes on to say. This is verse 10 and then 12 through 17. It says, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, you are every day conforming to the image of the one that you were made in. It's this everyday thing. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that's you and me, set apart from, from all that is common and ordinary and loved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive because we're conforming to his image. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is another way of saying conforming to his image, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is the theme of the Bible, is that you have been freed from the passions of your former ignorance. And now there can be a consistency between your life and the image that you bear. They can be the same. That is what being led down the path of righteousness means. Is that there can be a consistency between God's life and your life. Conforming to one another. There's really two two major ways that this is made concrete for us. One is the life of Jesus. Like we have we have the gospels and we're looking at his life. Like we have this like flesh and blood, living, breathing, real human example to follow. Peter goes on to say in the next chapter, he's talking about Christ's suffering, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, For to this, meaning this suffering, you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That phrase, leaving you an example, it's the same phrase that they would use whenever it was time to teach a child how to write. They apparently did the same thing we do, where you have the you have the letters, but they're like in, in like broken lines, and you trace, you know, you trace around it. Remember that? It's been it's been a while for me, but I'm pretty sure that's how I learned how to write. It's like broken lines, and you learn by tracing these these lines. And, and I remember being like in kindergarten, and they would be like, "Okay, today, you know, we're going to do the letter G," and you had to write G like fifty times. Tracing the broken the broken G over and over and over again, and guess what you could do by the end of it? You could write a G. That's what it's saying. He's left you an example. He's left you a pattern 
for you to lay your life on top of and trace your life based on how you see him handling stuff. So the first way that's concrete is by the example of Jesus. The second way is just the word of God in, in general. It says in 2 uh, Timothy three sixteen seventeen, 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in, there's our word, righteousness. To train in how to conform our lives to the standard that God has set, which is himself, so that there is consistency between us. The entire Bible is there to train us and to equip us for every good work. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why our community groups, we study the scriptures. That's why every time that is possible, we should be consuming the word of God because it's there to train us in this. So what is the standard of righteousness? If that's the big question hanging out there, God is the standard of righteousness. He is the one that we are conforming to. Now, probably none of you in the room are like, I don't really want that. You know, of course we do. We all want it because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And the Christ in you is, is always beating that drum of holiness and righteousness and purity and goodness and mercy and all those things about him. That drum is just steadily beating inside of us because he dwells within us. So how do we get to where we are consistently walking that path? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes like I'll, I'll be doing really well with this. And then probably like, like I'm sure a shepherd would run into this, the sheep would get distracted. They would think like, oh, I know he's taking us to, to like the best water ever, but I, I think I see water over there that looks pretty good too. I know he's leading us to green grass, but that's like semi-green grass over there. You know, it's not quite totally brown yet. We get distracted. We kind of do our own thing. We just stray off, you know. So how do we more consistently walk the path of righteousness? Well, he tells us in this same paragraph. So we did 14 and 15. Jump up to 13. Just therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. Because then he goes on to say, don't conform to the, your former ignorance but instead you're conforming to the, the holiness of God and all your conduct because of what God said. But he starts off, he says, preparing your minds for action. So the first thing is we have to, we have to like keep in mind that this is a like cerebral thing. Like this, is, this is you making choices and using like the, the brain that God gave you. And it's me making choices using the brain that God gave me. This is cognitive. This, is, doesn't, this isn't like this, uh, something that's going to happen in some like emotional worship service or it's not going to just suddenly, you're like, I don't know, out of, out of nowhere, I suddenly like my whole life looks different. No, it's, a, it's, a, like, it's an intentional thing. Prepare your mind for action is the first thing that he says. And so you're, you're in, engaging in this on purpose. Then he says, and being sober-minded... Which is really just another way of saying, like, like having your wits about you. This is like, like I'm, 
I'm prepared. I'm getting my mind ready, like to act, but I'm also doing so like like fully. Like my, I have my wits about me. I'm not on a big emotional swing. I'm not. Um, I don't know. I didn't just get inspired by this like worship service or any kind of thing. I'm like, I'm really, I'm here. I'm steady. And he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I kind of stumbled around that one for a little bit because I was like, I don't, I don't really know how that fits, fits into this. But, but I think it's like the, the more I kind of sat with it and just the Lord just kind of, I think, helped me feel better about like applying it this way. I think it has everything to do with, with a recognition that this life is not, this isn't all, all there is, you know? That when we're thinking about Jesus' return, it reminds us of the temporary nature of all of this. The temporary nature of, of all those things that he has freed us from. From anger, from malice, from lying, from, from uh, all the forms of immorality and impurity and lust. And all those things, they're all temporary because this whole life is temporary except for our souls which live on, you know. And so I think a part of what Peter is saying is, is, is pull life into perspective. Because when, when we are duped into thinking that this life is all there is, Righteousness makes zero sense. Just doing what makes us feel good, that's what makes sense. Because like, well, you only live once, so may as well do this or try this or, you know. And, and so we get in this rut because we feel like, oh no, I only have so many years to live and I have to, I have to experience everything and I have to, to just, just have fun and I have to do all these kind of things. And like, no, that's not, that, that makes sense if this is all that there is. But when we think about the hope to come in the revelation of Jesus, we're reminded that all of this is temporary. That life is bigger, bigger than the moment. And then righteousness starts to make so much more sense. And so if we have our head down, we won't, we won't choose the path of righteousness. We're just going to drift into this, the next thing that seems appealing to us or interesting to us or satisfactory to us. But if we are looking down the corridor of time, we're reminded that, that like the future that is so amazing that God has given us access to that future now. And so the path of righteousness is just part of who I am. So we prepare our minds for action and having our wits about us, we intentionally remind ourselves that this world is temporary, but the things that live on forever, that's where the investment of my life goes. And then you're ready to do something. Then you're ready to not conform to that other stuff and to conform to the standard that God has set in and of himself. That there is a, there is a set apartness about your life from what is common and ordinary in our world. You know, we're, we're really never, you, you know, the, that whole thing about um, Christians and like, should we, should we, or should we fitting in with the world or should we, stand out from the world and um, I always trying to like feel like we have to navigate that because like we don't well we don't want to be the weird Christians but we know we're supposed to be kind of weird um, where's the weird where's the sweet spot you know that we're going for in terms of all that stuff and you know what's so freeing though is that the Bible never puts pressure on us to have to navigate the world in terms of fitting in or not fitting in 
being cool or not being cool, being accepted or not being accepted. The Bible never, never tells us that's what you have to figure out in a given moment is how can I like not be weird? How can I be cool and how can I be liked? The Bible just says in any given situation, what is the path of righteousness? What, what is God doing in this moment? And you just conform to it. And when that happens, you'll always be the right amount of whatever you need to be. And if people reject you and they think that you're weird, well, you're conforming to Christ. That's, that's their problem, you know. And so maybe we're overthinking the wrong thing. Maybe we need to over, overthink in a healthy way what it looks like to really conform. Now, I said this kind of last week and I'll say this again. If someone were to, were to come to me in pastoral, like a pastoral sense and say, I need you to help me figure out how to walk, uh, like where in my life, where is righteousness not showing up? Where, what is inconsistent in my life between the image of God that I bear and the way that I live my life? Will you help me diagnose that? This is what I would do. Um, so I'm giving you this for free. Okay. Um, if I'm just kidding, if you were to, if you were to come ask me this, I would, I would basically say, let's break your life down in, into kind of two categories. The first one, the first one is consumption. And the second one is production. Consumption and production work together to produce fruit in your life that you can then kind of be able to bring before the Lord and figure out what, the, what that looks like. Here's what I mean. Consumption. What am, I, what am I watching and what am I listening to? What am I, what am I ingesting? What am I, like, what am I taking into my life? In other words, what kind of water am I drinking? What kind of grass am I eating? That kind of thing. We've talked before about guarding the gates. You know, if your life is a fortified city... And the, and the guardians at the gate would determine what got in. Well, then in our lives, it's the eyes and it's the ears and it's the mouth. So what's going in? So your eyes, what are you, what are you watching? What are you watching on the internet? It doesn't have to even be like the forbidden things. I mean, you can, you can watch, um, you can watch stuff on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, but like, what are you, like, what are you watching What's going into your life? What TV shows are you watching? You know, what movies are you watching? What, what books are you reading? What magazines are you flipping through? What's, what's getting into your life through the gate of your eyes? Are those things that Jesus is also watching, you know? Would Jesus watch those things? Would he read those things? Would he consume, would he allow those things through the gate of his own life? Um, another one with the ears. What are you listening to? Some of that is, what, is the people that you're listening to. You know? Who are the voices speaking into your life? Could be people in person. Could be what, what podcasts are you listening to? I've seen plenty of, plenty of people go down some destructive roads because of a podcast, podcast that they thought was really interesting. You know, what music are you listening to? Um, in regard to the mouth, um, 
some of that some of that could be food, you know. Like what are you are you liter- like is your diet healthy? Some of that could be like some of the things that we drink. Do you have a healthy relationship to alcohol? Do you, are is there a problem with pills or with, you know, that kind of stuff? Like take a literal inventory. What are you consuming through the gates of the eyes, the ears, the mouth? Because that like those are those are getting into your mind. And so if Jesus was a guardian of those things in his life, then we should be a guardian of those things in our lives. So assessing what are you consuming? The second thing would be production. And I really just like the way that that Paul uses word and deed. So what like in terms of what are you producing? What what words are you producing? Are they words that build up or are they words that tear down? Are they words of gossip? Are they you speaking a lot of just really empty topics, you know? Like, do you talk and talk and talk and talk, but you never get more than an inch deep in the relationships of your life? Do you use language that you wouldn't let your kids use for whatever reason? Word, deeds. Are you acting out in some way? I won't give any examples, but you know. The actions of our lives. So we're consuming and then we're producing and those two are related. They just, they're like this, this loop that bears fruit in our lives. And so what I would have someone do is I would have someone go through all those categories and really figure out if you're trying to conform to the image of Jesus, then you would look at the same things and listen to the same things and eat the, and ingest the same things and you would speak the same things and you would do the same things. And if there are inconsistencies there, then, then you know where to start. And that's something that I hope is always the case at our church is it isn't like, look, you better go get your behavior straight before you come in here. Cause we're not just trying to modify behavior, but if we're trying to pursue holiness, then yeah, you need to sit down and figure out what your life looks like. Like that's, that's how it works. And so we're not being legalists just trying to keep rules. We are trying to walk the path of righteousness for whose namesake? Mine? No. Yours? No. His namesake. It's, it's for him. It's not for us. And so we're trying to get that figured out. And so what I would encourage you to do is if you were to assess your life and you're to use those, those two broad categories, where you see righteousness where you see a consistency between your life and the life you're conforming to, you just thank the Lord. Because that fruit is not being produced by your awesomeness, you know? Yes, you are preparing your mind for action, and yes, you're joining him in what he is doing, but your, your effort is very important, but he is the one like bringing about the fruit of that. And so you thank him. And if you see that in someone else's life, you champion that in them. Because guess who needs encouragement in this room? Every one of us, right? I guess so if that's happening, then let's build each other up in those ways. But when you get to something and you're like, man, I'm not walking the path of righteousness in this way. Don't hang your head in shame. 
Don't go hide in the tree line until you get your stuff together. You just bring that to the Lord and say, I'm just confessing this to you. I, I, I need you to help. I need you to help me because I want to walk the path of righteousness in this. Maybe you're dealing with an addiction. Maybe you're just dealing with, with irresponsibility. Or maybe you're just dealing with, with kind of ignorance. But I didn't realize how, much, how bad this was for me. Whatever it may be. If you have found a polluted uh, like pool that you're drinking from. Or a, a dead pile of grass that you have become satisfied with. But your, store is resol- your soul, soul is restored. Then you go to him and you say there's inconsistency here. Um, but I, but I'm, ready, I'm ready to conform. I'm ready to learn. You bring it to the Lord, and I would say that you also need to bring it to people in your life too. Don't do that on an island. Maybe it's your community group. Maybe you have a close group of friends. Maybe it's a mentor of some size. Whatever it may be, don't don't go about it alone. But Jesus is your primary person because who knows better than your shepherd who is the Lord. So, We put the passage together. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is what God has for you because this is what's best for you. This is what's best for me. He's not trying to get us to just keep a bunch of rules. He's saying, no, this is, this is how you flourish because I made you. And so I would encourage you to, to really spend some time thinking through your life in these ways. And know that the Savior is like He is ready to help you help walk you through whatever it may be. All right, let me pray. Father, I'm thankful this morning for um, for this passage, and uh, and we could keep going. Uh, the whole book is just so wonderful and. I'm thankful, God, that you have freed us from um, from that whole list of things and so much more. And you're inviting us to conform our lives to something so much greater. And so I pray, Father, that as the as the path of righteousness before us becomes clear, that we would have the courage to follow you forward in it. And that this morning, if, if any one of us are struggling with things related to the eyes or the ears or the mouth or our words or our, our deeds, anything we're consuming or producing, help us to not be dismissive of that and just think it's not a big deal. Those may be the very things that are keeping us sick <laughs> from drinking the polluted water. And so we thank you for leading us into what is good and healthy for us. Most of all, we thank you for restoring our souls so that we can know the difference. 
It's only because of what Jesus has done that we're able to even have this conversation. And so we're thankful for the blood of Christ poured out for us and the body of Christ broken for us that that invites us into this life of conforming to, to your holy, perfect image. So help us to walk in grace and in truth with you and with each other and with ourselves. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we have uh, a few different ways we, re- we respond here at Living Hope. And I know a lot of you are, are here every week, but if, you, if you're here for the first time, let me invite you to participate in all of these things. If you, we do a variety because different personalities need different things. And so if your desire is to sing to the Lord, then we're going to do that. If that's a part of what you need to respond to. If you want to pray, you can come pray at these steps. Or uh, me and a couple of us will be on the front row. If you want to come talk to us, we'd love to pray with you. We have two communion stations where uh, you are welcome. You don't have to be a, a member of this church. Uh, you have to want what Jesus is offering to you, which is his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. And so you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the juice, and you'll take it. And, and you'll see there's enough goodness and enough mercy for all of us in the room uh, because that's who he is. And so all these tangible things give us a way to respond to what God is stirring. So let's stand together as we sing and as we receive communion and as we pray. And we'll close in just a few minutes.